You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Stay tuned. This is Jessica Rush and Kara Cooper, and you're listening to Mama's Talking Loud. Our next guest is Celia Keenan Bolger. talking with Celia Keenan Bolger. You may know her from so many things. Uh, <laughs> 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Les Mis, Peter and the Starcatcher, Glass Menagerie, To Kill a Mockingbird, and basically anytime this woman steps on stage, she gets a Tony nomination. Basically. Um, <laughs> and about this year she won. Uh, but what you may not know about Celia is that she's inc- an incredible social activist. Um, and she was recently awarded the Michael Friedman Freed Um Award from the ACLU. It's such a tongue twister. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about everything, but basically we're not worthy. So thank you so oh much Oh my gosh, for being you here. are worthy. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> thank you, friend. Are you kidding? Okay. Well, to kick it off, well, William is four, four. and he started pre-K, right? How's Correct. that going? It's funny. I feel like... I think before I had a kid, I was like, I'm just not going to really be the kind of mom. I, th- I feel like I had so many ideas about the kind of parent I would be, and I certainly never imagined being a parent that would have anxiety around my child going to school or anything, or even like dropping him off at school. And I... <laughs> Just like one of the many ways that you're like, well, it turns out that's different than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I do think, um, you know, I it started, I guess, two weeks ago, and I was like, God, I'm feeling anxious. Like, what is that about? I was like, it's because well, it's William's first week of school, and there's just no way to really understand what that's all about, except that you take on, and you know, he was doing great. He wasn't even having a hard time, but there is just that space in your brain that's like, how how is everybody doing? How are we all doing? Totally. That I feel like you can't really shut off. It's so hard. It, and it's not even, for me, I know it's not even intellectual. It's like a physical Completely. response. Like my kids went off to school and I found myself heart racing, racing around the house. And my husband was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. But it just manifests in really different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's something about those big transitions. It's made me think a lot about transitions in our life, like the fact that we are actors and that we are so used to transition and and being resilient and that unlike most professions, like we are constantly moving from one thing to another and how we've built up like really good muscles to do that, but how most of the world does not really have to do that and and doesn't really like it, including my four-year-old son. <laughs> He's like, I'm not really into a transition. And, uh, and what that, how, how it's like sort of reflected back at me how lucky I am, even though there's so much instability in what we do, that I'm like, oh, but I actually am pretty good at bouncing from one thing to another. With change, yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that um, I really hope that that's something that I can build in him. I mean, I think unfortunately, it's like <laughs> he doesn't have a choice. It, <laughs> it like, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's so interesting because for us, a lot of changes occur because of our career, but for him, his life will remain pretty constant, the story of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll still go to school, and unless you move or something large happens in his world, then his world will will be very consistent. Right. And he won't have that access to change as much as we do. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I think sometimes, you know, when this job ends, I'm about to finish on November 3rd, and I'm like, what will that be for our family? Like, usually with me and John, we'd be like, woohoo, now we can go out to dinner again. <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's going to be, that's like a transition inside of stability. It's like mm-hmm. well, also why I think school actually is so good. And the summers where I feel like I remember being like, yes, the summer's here. And he was like, I am not that into the summer when it starts. <laughs> I miss school. I was like, who is this child? He's like, I miss my friends. I miss my teacher. And I was like, of all the things I've been planning for, you being sad school was over was not one of them. Exactly. Right. Well, I think part of that too, he's still so young and the structure is still such Completely. an important part of 
of his growth that that probably is part of it too. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, my, maybe only a year makes a difference because my child was all about the summer. Elliot She's was ready like, woohoo, no more school. Let's go do all the things. <laughs> and we lived it up. So, you know, maybe a year away. That's right. And then it'll be a whole new world. But each kid is different, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that might just be who he is, right? Yes. Geared towards and structure. And foster that and, and, yeah. and help <laughs> it to grow and say, you can be an engineer. You can be a doctor. Right. <laughs> it's funny that you touched on kind of that transition is such a part of our life. I think that that is one of the skills that being a, a person in the theater who be, then becomes a mom that is incredibly useful like you kind of already have that talent to like oh this isn't working okay let's change it up or I have to go get a job because I didn't get that Broadway gig so I need to you know make ends meet there's like um, a problem-solving nature to what we do that's kind of innately in us and I think that that helped certainly helped me when I became a mom just be like okay we're gonna figure this out (laughs) you know I I feel like we have better tools than than most yeah slightly I mean there's plenty of other things I <laughs> struggle with. So. Correct. Same over here. <laughs> um, well, speaking of To Kill a Mockingbird and Hell, and you're clo- you will be gone. Yeah. The show's not closing, but you're going to end will your be run, which you were so incredible. And I texted that to you after Thank I saw you. you, but you are stunning in that and so deserving, more than deserving, of the Tony that you got for playing Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, you're transcendent. Like your performance was heartbreaking and heartwarming and um and I was just so lucky I was so lucky that I'm your friend (laughs) I was such a proud friend it was one of those moments where it's like oh my god I'm I'm that person's friend but also like I'm super jelly because (laughs) but um it's just so amazing but how has it been can you speak to us a little bit about telling the story in the time that we're living in right now and how that's affected you or, or hasn't and, and what it's meant for you on the journey of, of bringing Scout to life. Um, this experience, I have a feeling when I look back on this time doing To, to Kill a Mockingbird, I'm going to be like, how did I do that? Mm. Um, and of course, when you're in the middle of it, you're like, this is just what we do. And I think one of the things that has been so gratifying about it is that in these sort of chaotic times, it feels hard to know where to put our energy. And for me, like, I don't have quite enough energy to be fighting the good fight all the time or consuming all of the news that I should be consuming or like out in the streets or, um, and that without sounding too precious, I do feel like performing in this play is a tiny act of resistance and also, a sort of unifier that I think what's so incredible about the book and and also about Aaron's adaptation is that it actually sort of I think it it extends this hope and um, maybe even like call to arms that we engage with one another and are decent and are um, and are seeing there's that line that's like um, you know, you can never really understand a person unless you walk around in, in, in his skin. And that I think being with 1,400 people every night, some of whom I know did not vote uh, for Hillary Clinton and who are experiencing the play very similarly to the people who did. And, and there aren't that many spaces, I think, maybe outside of church for a lot of people from different backgrounds to come together and process these really big questions about what's happening in our country right now and and where we have come from and where we're trying to go. And so that part of, of performing the play has been so deeply meaningful to me. And to sort of be the little conduit between the audience and the play and to, to, to sort of try to take everybody through that on the flip side of that, I have also felt just so depleted, both by <laughs> the events um, in our nation and by the rigors of being the sort of motor of this play. And so there have been times within that that I've felt like I just don't know where this is going to come from. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And 
I remember reading, there's this really amazing um, commencement speech that Nora Ephron gave in 1996, a very long time ago. And she says something where she's like, look, you can have it all, but don't, I'm here to tell you it's going to be so hard. So don't ever say that nobody said it was going to be hard. And I feel like I have just held that in my heart where I was like, if I zoomed out to being a young woman growing up in Detroit and I I knew that I was going to have a family and that I was going to be the lead in a Broadway play that I cared about and that I was going to win the biggest award that I I could that was available like I wouldn't have believed in my life but I also think what I couldn't have told that little person is like you will suffer for it mm. it will it will require so much of you and you will feel deficient at every turn mm. and I think that is the sort of the working mother, particularly the, the working mother on Broadway, I think for so long, it was like, just don't talk about it. Like that we, I'm like standing on the shoulders of so many women who just like shut up and do it, did it. And I'm so grateful to people like Audra and Kelly who have, who are Audra McDonald, Kelly O'Hara, <laughs> Broadway, you know who we're talking about, um, that they were like visible with their, um, both their struggles and and just just they, not even their struggles, just their motherhood. That they were like, we are mothers and and we are here, and that I feel like they sort of opened the door for the rest of us, as did all of these other women from previous generations who just worked their asses off and never said a thing about it. For us to be able to say like we're doing it, and also it's incredible, and also it is very very difficult. Mm-hmm. Here, here. <laughs> Thank you. There it all is. Yeah. I mean, that's it is incredibly difficult. You're like I'm all verklempt over here listening to you say that because it's such. When you become a mom, a mother, it takes over your world, and no one. I was telling someone this the other day. No one can prepare you. You think you're prepared. You have no idea how yeah. your heart breaks into a million pieces over and over and over, and trying to find the balance and. I can imagine the the exhaustion that you feel. Like I know, I know how I feel when I'm doing eight shows a week, and I'm not carrying To Kill a Mockingbird on my shoulders, you know. And like, so when you wake up at six thirty in the morning, and you get William to school, and like, you do your whole day, and then at six thirty at night, twelve hours later, you say, "All right, buddy, see you tomorrow." And then you go, and then you have to do your job, yeah, like your job, job, and all these people who have paid all the money mm-hmm. and all the things and they're relying on you and there is so much pressure in that and I think you know for a long time there really weren't many mothers in our business at all right. it was either you have kids and you leave the business mm-hmm. or you decide I'm not going to have children and I'll and I'm that's the sacrifice I'm going to yeah. make if that is for it's some it's not a sacrifice but yeah um and so it's such an interesting time we're in now that I feel like there are so many of us Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's empowering and it feels amazing to know that we have this community and that we can speak up and stand up and say, we are here. Our families matter. You know, all those dads who've been working for years, Mm -hmm. those, (laughs) it wasn't a big deal. You know, it's like, but um, it's like, we are here and, and times they've got to change a little bit. Yeah. I think it's also, it's that, um, it's hard when you're living your dream Mm -hmm. that you feel like I can't, there's no space for me to be cranky or for me to be exhausted or that, you know, I will say like in my head, I'm like, you know, it's not a musical. Like it could be a musical. That would be even worse. Why are you so tired? And that we sort of tell these stories to ourselves that are like, you know, you should just be grateful because True. I mean, and the truth is, I am. But it, it, two things can exist at once. Yes. And that I think it's hard sometimes, especially, you know, in our community, that I, that nobody ever wants to complain about having a job. And yet, I think I am making peace with the fact that, you know, again, like both things can be true. You can be grateful to have a job and you can also be Mm -hmm. dog ass tired. (laughs) Well, and I think feeling free enough to say it is half the battle, right? It's not living like so many women did for so long, not talking about how hard it was, just putting their nose to the grindstone, maybe hiding the fact that they were mothers, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it was that, whatever it took for them to be successful or to survive. And 
there's a lot of freedom in being able to talk about how hard it is. Yeah. Um, in saying that, what are your coping mechanisms? Like, what is it that you do when you are, you know, in the dregs and feeling like, how can I possibly either do the show tonight or sometimes take care of my child? Like, this is so hard. I've got nothing left in the tank. You know, what, what is it that you do to help yourself? I mean, therapy. <laughs> I feel like, I, like, truly, I think what my therapy, the, the thing that I carry with me that I'm still, it will be life's work, but that this idea that I'm not accomplishing all of the things in the way that I want to accomplish them, that I feel deficient as a mother, I feel deficient as an actor, that I'm just like, I could, if I just had a little more space or a little more time, I could, I could have more energy, I could be, you know, and I think changing your brain and saying, this is what I have, and that the punishment around that only leads to suffering, <laughs> and that I'm doing the best that I can, and that I have to leave it there. So that's like a huge part. I remember I go to acupuncture. There's an amazing place on 31st Street that takes our uh, insurance, and my acupuncturist was like, look, you you only have 100% of yourself. Like you don't have 110, you don't have 120. So you have a percentage that's going to work and you have a percentage that's going to your family and there has to be a percentage that goes to you. And I think unfortunately, what ends up happening is that it feels selfish to take the time away from your work and, and your family because both of those things get so much of your attention but also you're constantly feeling like they don't get quite enough of your attention so that there's just not enough left for you. And it's like so cliched, but that thing about the oxygen mask mm -hmm. is so real, that it's like, if you don't have that mask on, nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting the help they <laughs> right, need. Exactly. Well, I think I, I find when I'm on a show schedule, it's like any extra time I have, I want to be available to Elliot and to Eric, to my husband. I want to be available to my family to spend time with them because I know I'm not there for dinner and bedtime and bath time. And so, but then that little extra time that I have would be the time I could do self-care or mm -hmm. go to the gym or work out. And so I do find, and I'm sure we all struggle with this, that you put yourself on the back burner unless you make a very conscious effort to say, I have to do this. Yeah. I have to take this hour to myself. But that is hard. It is. So and it's hard. always changing. I think that's what's also hard. It's like what used to work for me at the beginning of the run, halfway through, like stopped working, where I was like, I can't exercise the way that I used to because I'm so fucking tired. Mm -hmm. And exercising for the first time has like only made me more, more exhausted. <laughs> so I was like, okay, now I have to cut that out and figure out like a different kind of, just like the old lady in restorative yoga, like living my best life, whatever, trying works. to restore my body <laughs> and like get some naps or something. Just gonna hang um, out with um, Correct. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and that like seeing friends for a long time was like a huge form of self care. And then halfway through the run, three quarters of the way through the run, I was like, I need to just shut up and read a book and lie in a bed. That, I, But it's so hard until you sort of get to a breaking point, I think, to make those decisions for yourself. Like, And I think I'm pretty good at listening to my body and listening to myself. But I, along this, along this year, I have lost track of myself and that I feel like... It, it has been harder and harder to receive the cues that are just like what you actually need um, is is to like have almost nothing going on during your day and like go to therapy, go to acupuncture, do a little bit of exercise, take your like wake up with your child, take him to school and then like see what the day brings, like get outside, always get outside, even if it's bad. Um, but, you know, that's been a that has been a really interesting thing this year. I think what you what you touched on too in the mental state of it all is that knowing we place such super high expectations on ourselves and being able to lower that bar a little bit and know that not everything is going to be exactly as we hoped or predicted or expected. Um, I think you were talking about all the things, the self-care, going to the gym, all that. And those are all things that I do, but I find the biggest thing that I have to do is literally just say, it's okay. Like, okay, so you forgot to send in this paper with Elin to school today, or you didn't 
have the time to make that phone call. Like I'm one of those people that at the end of the day takes stock of everything I have or have not accomplished. And for me, like just hearing you say that it's, it's okay. It's okay to be like, okay, I can do that tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's all right. Instead of going to bed and being like, okay, didn't do all those things that I meant right. to do today. <laughs> and I, I think like part of my initial extreme discomfort in motherhood was that I was such part of my identity was being a productive person, that I valued my productivity. And that those first six months where I was like, all I'm doing is keeping this baby alive. And I'm like kind of bored and also kind of sad and in mourning for my life Mm -hmm. and not productive at all. And yet the most productive, (laughs) keeping a human alive. (laughs) And that that huge shift, I think, like your worth is not based on your productivity, especially as a mother. It's like... It's just, it cannot be about that because you will run yourself into the ground. And I think sort of, I mean, again, life's work, friends, life's Mm -hmm. work. (laughs) But that, you know, instead of the ticker tape at the end of the day going through like all of the have nots and like what I didn't accomplish, it's just like, and I've even taken now to being like, if I mail a letter of saying to myself like, good work, like Mm -hmm. that was something you did today. Cross (laughs) it off the list, honey. Yes, and that it's like, and like, that that positive encouragement can try to sort of balance out the negative thoughts that are coming in and out of like, why isn't this getting done? Why isn't this getting done? Why isn't this getting done? For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. I I do find when I'm being creative that I'm able to let that stuff fall by the wayside Mm -hmm. a little bit more because I have that outlet to, to feel productive and feel like I'm putting out, putting something out in the world, whatever that may be. And I find when I'm not, working on something that I get really tied up in the minutia mm-hmm. of everything because that's where I find my self-worth. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and the good news is there is an end date. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's such, that's something that's really lovely. Unless you're in, you know, a, a long running government show, basically, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. you know, there will come a time where this is over and yeah. you will have some time again and hopefully have a moment to, you know, a few weeks or whatever, yeah. to br- or months to just breathe and live life and find yourself again. Yeah, because I know that is so important. It is that recharging the batteries. I feel like it's so. I've never been so good of like not knowing what the next job is, and I feel like one of the amazing things that Tony Award did was like get me a lot of job offers in the theater. And in my guts, I was like, I can't do another theater job for six months good for you and I mean that's like a that's that, a huge thing but good for you well and we'll see you know talk yeah. to me in January <laughs> and I'm gonna be like you guys I usually make it three weeks and then I'm like okay okay, okay yeah. I'm ready now but it is I mean I think this one I understand just like what it required and what it required of my family mm-hmm. that I'm like I need to like at least have two months where I'm not even auditioning where yeah. I'm just yeah. like hanging out and being with my family so that w- the time comes again when I'm hungry because right now I'm not even, I don't even have like the fire in my belly. Yeah, yeah. You're like burnout. out. It's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And, it's and then there's that emotion too, the connection of when you're burnout and not hungry for the thing that drove you for so yes. long that you do, at least for myself, it's such a huge part of my identity. And it's like, what does that mean? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. What does that mean? Which is also terrifying. Mm-hmm. And who am I now? Okay. If I'm not driving forward, wanting more of that. And I'm ready to just sort of hang for a second. And that's okay because the priorities have shifted, right? Like William is, William is your priority. Mm -hmm. You know, as a mother, that is what happens as, and yes, we love our husbands and they're great and they're priorities too. But I find that, you know, especially our children are all relatively small. So yeah, yeah. they still are super vulnerable and they're super, you know, little and they need us. I think also, there was, I had a moment sort of post Tony's where I was so um, exhausted and I, I had a real crisis because I was like, this is everything that you have sort of wanted and if you, if you want all of this, then this is what is required, like this level of output. And so what does that mean? Because I'm not capable of sustaining this. So what does that say about me as an artist? What does that say about me as an ambitious person? And I think that's when you can sort of zoom out and say like, this is only for now. Mm-hmm. Like this feeling of exhaustion or this feeling of 
of whatever it is, like it will it will change. Like that, and that's another amazing and difficult thing about motherhood. It's like the only thing you can count on is that it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like both inside over. of your motherhood life and outside that, it, mm-hmm. you know, that that's going to, yeah, sure. we're going to keep, you know, having to experience that. And reinvent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, speaking of being a mother and just sort of with the show, we're sort of going <laughs> to switch a little gear a bit and talk about your social activism because it's something you touched on with re- in your Tony speech, mm-hmm. talking about your upbringing mm-hmm. and your mom and and what she instilled in you. And it sort of seems like it's, you know, part of your DNA, like who you are is a social activist in a lot of ways. And I know you feel very passionately about things and you march and you speak up. And could you really could you speak to us a little bit about how becoming a mother has maybe shifted that or made it stronger or um yeah, where you're at with that. I remember I read some study that was speaking to young women who are activists who were like much more powerful than myself, that their whole lives had been dedicated to activism. And every single one of them had mothers who brought them up with some thread of, of, mm. of activism in their lives. And I was like, oh, that's why I am the way that I am, that it like trace, I can trace it right back to my own mother. And it wasn't even so much about um, like different causes or, I mean, there were causes that we had growing up, but that there was engagement um, and that I was dragged to all the protests that my poor son is being dragged to (laughs) and that we would go to boycotts and we would march in Labor Day parades and we had, we consumed a lot of culture and art that was sort of had a message. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird was a really important book Mm -hmm. in my house growing up. Um, But I think then having a son, and particularly having a son has been so interesting in these times of like talking about toxic masculinity. And and I, in some ways, I actually think it's, there are more tools about raising a girl right now. I feel there are things that I like will clock on the street that I'm like, oh, I'm glad I don't have a little girl to have to like explain that away. But I also think a huge part of what our problem as a society is, are the way that we raise our boys and the messaging, the messages that boys receive Mm -hmm. and just sort of societally and Mm -hmm. the patriarchy. And that I think about that so much of like the sensitivity of my son right now and like how open he is to the world and how that's going to just, how to preserve that and give him, um, the tools to sort of hold on to that in a society that basically says like this is wrong you know sensitivity equals weakness and that anger and and um uh and sort of like the the fighting back is is your only tool and so honestly that i mean i think he's going to be he he's going to be you know he understands now i think a lot about um just showing up, whether or not that has any resonance of like where we're going. I mean, he's been to so many marches <laughs> at this point. Um, but like the other day, his babysitter picked him up from school and they were making like rules for their class. And she was like, William, do you want to tell your tell your mom what your rule, rule was? And his rule was, we have to make sure to try to take care of everybody in the whole entire world. Oh. And I was like, okay, well, you He's know getting what? It. Oh my I God. feel like they're on some level. <laughs> right. We're at least have oh. some building block, which I was like, this is oh. so sweet. Um, and he also, I mean, this is another like sidebar. This was at the beginning of school last week where he was like, I was like, you know, how are you feeling about going to school? And he was like, I feel, um, I feel left out at school. And I was like, in both ways, I was like, my heart, I've never been more proud that I have a child that can verbalize the feeling of being left out. And also, my heart is breaking into a million pieces that I was like, oh my God, welcome to the world, (laughs) that terrible, terrible feeling. But I think, you know, it's, I do, 
it doesn't even have to be your own child, but I think engaging, like bringing kids into the fold, even if they're not, if it's like acts of service in a soup kitchen, if it's having a bake sale for separated families, if it's marching in a protest, like everybody has their different things. Like it doesn't all have to be the same thing, but just engaging them from the time that they're young, that has been the thing that has, it's not even really a choice. It feels like part of your responsibility as an adult. And I only have my parents to thank for that. Like that was just how they operated. I was remembering that in Detroit, they didn't have recycling. Like there was no curbside recycling. And so my parents would like collect recyclables in our garage. And then we would like haul them and sort them into like bags and like take them like 35 minutes away and like take them to the recycling center. And I was like, at the time, I was I was like, this is a pain in the ass. But I didn't see it as anything other than what it was. And like looking back, I was like, oh, that was like a... That was a uh, big deal. It was. Yeah. And it was like not um, convenient. Mm-hmm. And particularly since they had three kids, they had other things that they could have <laughs> been dealing with. But they were like, we make this a priority. And so, right. you know, we can all just like choose those little things that we decide to engage with. And... I really think that's the thing for me because there's so much to fret about. But it also, it's like we don't have the luxury of being pessimistic because we have kids. And so it's like, all right, what do I choose for my child and for my family that is important? And it can only be one thing because sometimes it's too you know, overwhelming to engage with all of it. But if you just choose one thing and you as a family are like, and you know, we have like a, a little like what are our family values like we are a family who takes care of other people who and that that sort of language um, is I think also helpful in just trying to be like I'm raising I'm trying to raise a good citizen you I mean, when you're talking about raising a boy I it hit me so hard my little guy is gonna be three in like a month and he's so like you said just so open and so emotional and I I, f- I find myself trying not to say things like, this is not something to cry about, you know, I, because I'm trying to teach him that, you know, if you don't get the right color crayon, it's yeah. that is not something to cry <laughs> right. about. But I don't want to instill in him a fear of being emotional. Um, right. And it's, it's fascinating because I have a girl and a boy and... You, I mean, women have a reputation for being emotional. My son is far more emotional than my daughter has ever been. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just fascinating. And I, I struggle with the same thing. Like, how can I keep you in this place where you are allowed to express how wonderful and exciting and difficult life is all at the same yeah. time? Um, Do you know what I so- always think to myself? How would you treat him if he was a girl? Yeah, that's a really good... Because I'm like, I want a really strong, stand-up-for-herself, like, fierce little girl yep. who also is in touch with her feelings. And I was like, so just treat him like a girl. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful uh, <laughs> advice, especially when he's asking... We were This is a silly story. It's a sidebar, which we may edit out later. <laughs> um, but he has this new Thomas the Train bike. And his thing is, he'll ride it down the street. He's like, Mom, my pretty, pretty dress is down there. Let's go get it. And he rides his bike all the way, and then he puts on his pretend pretty, pretty dress. And, he, and I'm like, you look great. <laughs> and he's just so excited. And I, I don't want any kid in our neighborhood to say anything to him. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like my mama bear claws are going to come out in the most unattractive <laughs> way if it happens, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So Well, and it's crazy, too, how things because I've been really aware, you know, with Elliot, she's a girl, and so raising her is a whole different ball game. But, like, I've noticed since she started, well, with pre-K last year and then kindergarten this year, she'll make comments about, well, that's not for boys or uh-huh. girls. And I'm like, wait, who – boys can't wear pink. I said, since when? I was like, anybody can wear any color they want to wear. It's just so interesting that they pick up on all these things because mm-hmm. we – I mean – I literally didn't buy her anything pink for... You didn't. A, I didn't. I was Karen there. <laughs> for like a solid year. I was very gender neutral, a lot of grays and things like this. And then all of a sudden one day, pink was her favorite color. I don't even know how it happened. Yeah. And now it's all pink. But it's interesting to see what just from you know their environment and who they're around and what they hear and what they start to pick up and how they'll say things and you want to squash it you know it's like no 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 wait 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 Mm -hmm. we can anyone can wear whatever they want and you know because boys can't wear she saw some wearing a kilt 
boys can't wear a skirt. Well, yes, they Actually, can. They can. Yeah, they can. Anyone can wear whatever they want to wear. And so. we can't avoid those things. I mean, no. we cannot avoid our children going to school and no. picking up all kinds of messages that are different from like what our family. Exactly. You know. Mm-hmm. But that's also part of why I am so grateful for this community that we have. This like Broadway mother community, where I think we are all so different, and I think we probably even have you know, different parenting philosophies, but I do feel like the inclusivity and the openness with which everybody engages and is supportive of one another is such a huge part of of what has, like, supported me as a parent in these early years. And I think, you know, just posting questions, like when people are like, what do I do about this? The, the thoughtfulness of the answers and the way that we engage, I've been so moved by, and and not surprised, but it is, it feels so, like such a, a home to have, to have this space where we can go to each other and say, like, I am really struggling over here, or like, what do I do about this? Mm-hmm. It's so funny you bring that up. I've had people ask me, as administrators of the group, they're like, is it hard? Do you have to, like, you know, step in a lot and shut people down or, you know, turn comments off? And I say, never. Never have we ever had to do that. People behave with such with such kindness and mindfulness. Yeah, that I mean, it's not hard. No, not <laughs> you know, it's incredible. So it runs itself, basically, it does, which is awesome. <laughs> which is amazing. Do you uh, feel okay talking about what happened at the theater? Yeah, a, of course. A couple months ago now. Yeah, it was at the beginning of August, and it was right. Uh, it was the same weekend. So El Paso and then Dayton, those shootings happened. And then we went back to the show on a Tuesday. And uh, we got through the entire show. And in my last monologue towards the end, um, there was like, it sounded like something was going on in Schubert Alley where I was, and that's not an uncommon occurrence. (laughs) But there was suddenly like a lot of banging and screaming on the doors. And I was like, this sounds not right. And uh, a bunch of people ran into the theater, I think through the box office, because it was so close to the end that the box office doors were Mm. open and ready to let everybody out of the theater and ran into the theater screaming that there was a shooter in Times Square, which then of course made the audience uh, panic. And it was like a I don't even know how long I was on stage to sort of absorb all of it. But at a certain point, we all ran off stage. And then there were like three minutes where we were just sort of waiting to figure out what was going on off stage. Uh, and then they were able to say, like, it actually wasn't. There was no shooter. There was just a motorcycle that backfired. But I think probably it was a lot of tourists that were like, we're in the United States of America. And mm-hmm. if I hear those noises, I assume that this is what's happening. And Um, and so we had like 10 more minutes to just be on lockdown and then we didn't finish the show and we went home and I I think I was probably just sort of in shock Um, I didn't freak out I didn't like I didn't I didn't really know what to process but I um, I got home and like talked to my husband and then went to bed and then had to do a matinee the next Wednesday and was was very jittery on stage and just a little like what's happening in the audience like any flashlights or noises I was just a little bit and then we got to like 10 minutes before the end of the play and I started feeling like all I like I was going to just burst into tears where I was like I don't want to finish the show I don't want to keep going on with this and it was very very difficult and it happened again you know we had to do the show again Wednesday night and it was really, really awful. And I think the truth is, like, we were at that point in the run where I was already pretty depleted. And then that event sort of wiped out my reserves, like what I was sort of depending on to get me through the end of the run. And it, the like the next three weeks, I experienced a sort of, like, PTSD and exhaustion unlike anything I have ever experienced before. And I think because I didn't, like, lose it 
at the event. And because the event actually ended up not being anything, it was very hard, I think, for our brains. The amazing thing is that every single one of there's like only one moment in the play where the whole cast is on stage. And it happened in that moment. And I was like, somehow the universe like gave all of us the burden to bear so that we could like do it together or try to process it together. And I will say the Actors Fund, I asked the producers if they would like do a group therapy session with us. And the Actors Fund came in for three weeks and did like group therapy with us. And it was unbelievably helpful. Um, But on the second week post this event, I had a panic attack on stage, which I have never experienced Mm. before. I didn't even know it was a panic attack, but I was certain that I was going to pass out and felt all of the feelings of like, I was like, I feel lightheaded. I feel like my heart is racing. And I feel like at any moment I'm going to fall over on the Schubert theater stage in the middle of this play. And they're going to have to stop the show. And I had the desire to like run off stage. So to like get myself together. And then when it was all done, I was like, you know what I think that might have been was not that I was going to pass out. I think it was a panic attack. And it was, it, that was sort of the turning point in this whole process where I was like, I think maybe I have to start taking care of myself in a different way, which is just like trying to like replenish mm-hmm. and only like do so little um, and not be like the kind of mother that I really wanted to be. I couldn't be as present, you know, for him. It was really, it was the hardest thing I, I think I've ever gone through certainly in the theater and maybe in my life like it was as scary as anything I've ever experienced I can I can imagine I mean it it was terrifying just to read about it you know people started posting on Facebook and hearing about people going backstage and getting into dressing rooms yeah and and, um I mean it's you know I would say gun violence is especially as a mother now it is probably my most the cause and uh, that I am the most passionate about mm-hmm. and terrified of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you spoke at the beginning about William going to school. And, you know, these are things that we have to think about, Yeah, unfortunately, now. Um, but being on stage, you know, we are so vulnerable. We're up there. And I remember thinking about that years ago on tour and thinking, oh, my God, if someone wanted to do something, I'm just standing here, you know. And yeah. But for us, you know, the theater is such a... a a special holy place it's for secret, us. It's yes. our home. Like it's where I feel most comfortable is mm-hmm. on the stage. And so I can imagine that in that moment to have that happening and the fear from the people, you know, they'd been giving you this energy all night long and then for that energy to turn to, I mean, think yeah. about that, the energy that you're that feeling from the 1400 yes. people, the panic all coming at you on stage. Um, I'm sure it was terrifying. And I, I commend you for going back the next day. I'm glad you've now like realized that this was, something you needed to really address yes. and take care of because I I probably would have taken a bit. I would have been, I don't know. It was really, uh, the thing that I feel so lucky, not just living in New York City, but also just having health insurance. I had so many resources. I had the Actors Fund. I had my own therapist. I had my acupuncturist. I went to a psychiatrist because I was like, I think I need something in case I start to feel like I have a panic attack mm-hmm. again. And all of this was covered by insurance. I mean, my therapist is not in network, but I can submit right. so that right. I'm getting, you know, and I was like, I have all of these different resources available to me that are not costing me like, you know, thousands of dollars that you cannot, for me, I could not do it on my own. I needed outside mm-hmm. help. I needed professional people to take me through like what was happening in my body. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it's so um, brave to recognize that, you know, when we recognize that within ourselves, that we can't do it all. We cannot get through this moment in time without yeah, some help. for help. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is also, I think, a motherhood, like, mm. as, and I think, I don't know if this is like women in general or human beings in general, that they're just like, I would rather just get it done. Like, that I, somehow asking for help is not we're not hardwired for it. And when you become a mother, there is no other way to get shit done. And I think like opening myself up to that more and more and how good it makes people who love us feel to be able to help us. It like really, it goes both ways. You know, I don't think 
um, it can feel really vulnerable to ask for help. But And it creates that village that everybody has spoken about mm-hmm. for so many years, right? It takes a village mm-hmm. to raise a family. And in the day and age that we live in, we don't necessarily live near our family. And, and that sense of community isn't necessarily, um, I think inherently a part of our society no, anymore. I agree. Um, and so you do have to ask for help, but I have found that once I do ask for help, there becomes this camaraderie and this sense of community where it isn't, you know, sometimes don't have to ask. Yes. People are more willing to offer it up mm-hmm. and that feels wonderful too. Yes. And then you can offer it back and yes. it's, you know, a give and take, which I appreciate. It's so funny when we were talking about, um, the theater being your sacred space. And I know for me and the difficult things that I've been through, going to work has been my escape, has mm-hmm. been my my therapy, my place where I don't have to deal with whatever that is that's really troubling me. So for the troubling thing that happened to you to have happened in your sacred space, I cannot imagine what that was like to have to go back and relive it all the time. So kudos to you to I will to figuring say also out. like it has gotten totally easier mm-hmm. but it was very very hard for like over a month yeah it just felt not only vulnerable but I think just um it felt like something had been disrupted like something was like had been broken that would never ever be able to come back together. And the good news is that it, it did. did. It yeah. totally did. You just yeah. have to sort of weather it out. But I think, you know, that yeah. time that you're inside of it, you're like, oh. Mm. I mean, I think that's another thing that as a mother, it's so easy, like if William is going through a stage or if I'm at that point in the process of the show that I'm like, well, I guess this is my life now. And it's like, no, <laughs> no it's not. It's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Mm-mm. It will that's, change. It's mm-hmm. so true. What? For you as a mother, as an artist, an actor, what's been the hardest struggle and what has been the most pleasant surprise about becoming a mom? I think the hardest part has been embracing this new identity. I think that there is a part of me that really, I I would say it to people, I was like, when you have a kid, you just bring the kid along. Like, it's not like you become a different person. You just like, you live your life, you're like, you know, you are yourself, and then you just, you add the kid into the mix. And like, uh, you guys, as you know, that's not a thing. Nope. nope. <laughs> and I think that transition to um, understanding that about my body, about my time, about the way I approach my work, like, that old part of myself is gone. It's not, um, it's not even worth uh, spending a lot of energy yearning for it. I mean, I think you can, you, it's, it's, it's okay to, to you know, sort through it, but I think figuring out how to go forward with this new life has been a very big challenge. One that I continue, I mean, I think, Initially, it was, you know, that first year was was sort of rocked my world. And not in a good way, guys. Mm. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> um, but that I still have moments of that where I really, really miss my old life. And, um, yeah, yeah it's a I miss my marriage. Yeah. I miss my friends. I miss my freedom. I miss my independence. Mm-hmm. Um And then I think the surprise is how much more as a person I had to learn. That I feel like when I had William, I was like, I'm like, I really got my (laughs) shit together, guys. Like, I'm like a pretty high functioning lady. I got a great marriage. I got my friends. I got my career. I'm nailing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling like really good. Yeah. And I, I like remember reading some quote or, or listening to someone speak, and I was like, oh, no. And she said, like, the only purpose of the child is to teach the parents where they still need to grow. Oof. And I was oh, like, right. wow. <laughs> but I think in a beautiful way, all of these things that were sort of lying dormant in my life that I was like, eh, it's like not great. Or it's like not my favorite thing about myself, but... 
or about my marriage or about, you know, whatever. But you know what? It's like fine. It doesn't really need attention. That having a kid has like really shined a light both in myself and and in my my little outside world of like where uh, examination will be helpful. And I think even though it's painful and even though it's sometimes um, it doesn't feel good, ultimately I don't want to leave an unexam- lead an unexamined life and that my child has like really brought that forth in a way that I never could have done without him. And that that is, it's certainly made me a better artist. It's made me, I think, a more compassionate person. Um, and I and I wouldn't have been able to do it without being a mother. Well, that's solid. Yep. <laughs> that pretty much sums well it up. done. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's that self-reflection, mm-hmm. I feel like. I, I saw something recently about the, the postpartum years and how it isn't actually just when you have a newborn, right? Mm. And that during those years you are being broken apart in lots of different ways, right? You're, you're physically, you're being broken apart emotionally, intellectually. And that over that time, as your kid gets older, and I would say that like my older kid, I'm kind of at that point with her now, um, you are put back together, but you're put back together as a new person. Mm. You're not the person that you were before you were broken apart, you know? And that really resonated yes. with me that it's, you're never, you're never going to be the same. No, I yeah. say that to Eric all the time. I'm just like, I, that person, I will never move through the world as carefree again. That person is gone. Like yeah. that, I don't even, <laughs> I remember her, but like, I, it's hard to remember what she felt like mm-hmm. because this is such an all-consuming, different feel. Yeah. Uh, and, and most of the time in the best way. Yeah. 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 But being yeah. artists, I feel like we've, oh, we are prone to being emotional to begin with and being in touch with those emotions and I couldn't believe that I could be even more emotional (laughs) than I was before shocking right (laughs) and different feels yeah yeah Yeah, exactly well this has been incredible you guys thank you so so grateful this exists to be able to talk about these things it's really amazing I mean it's so easy to talk to you so (laughs) thank you thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our super theme song, our producer Dory Berenstein, and of course the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Have a good one. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.